Government websites have a bad rap for being clunky and hard to use, because, face it, most of them are. But that's changing in Georgia. Today I talk with Nikhil Deshpande about focusing on what citizens are trying to accomplish and creating solutions that put their needs first. This is Design Driven, a podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Welcome back, everybody. I can say I am super excited for today's show. We have Nikhil Deshpande. He is the director of Georgia Gov Interactive. Uh, If you're familiar with USDS or any of the uh, federal government digital services, this is kind of the same thing, but at the Georgia state level. I've known him for quite some time. Um, He's a great guy doing great things at the state. So uh, welcome to the show, Nikhil. How are you today? Thanks, Jay. This is I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to be on your show. It's good to have you. So um, as a way of getting started, tell everybody a little bit about your background, how you got to work for the state government, and what you're working on that's exciting. Sure. Um, <clears throat> my background is UX design, really. And um, I graduated out of my undergrad learning graphic design and then worked in advertising for a bit before I went to do my master's. And back then was what's called computer art and UX interaction design was one of the streams I could choose and focus on, which I did. And uh, right after my grad school, um, I started actually working for the state of Georgia because back then they were looking to put together what they back then called as a creative group. They were, I guess, looking to bring in new perspective and really wanting to change how state government deals with citizens. So Mm -hmm. they needed fresh ideas. So they formed a little team in Savannah. And that's how I, you know, started working uh, in this little office in Savannah, which was a satellite. And then we used to work with state agencies up here. And about, I want to say 10 years, 11 years ago, they moved that office because I guess, you know, they realized it's better to have it here in the same location so you could interact better. So that's how we got here. Um, I'm in this position for the last six years now where I'm the director for the digital services. And like really our charter is to drive everything from a user focus, from, you know, a citizen first perspective. And uh, we have been looking at changing our technology landscape that really aligns well with our citizen first focus. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it's been a good ride. And um, every year we get to do something fun and interesting, which really kind of enhances the citizen experience for, uh, you know, their interactions with the state of Georgia. Now, while I'm doing this on also um, side, uh, for the last 10 years or so, I have been teaching at the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, their Atlanta campus. Um, I'm a mother, so, uh, you know, it's really nice to kind of have the interaction between academia and something that, you know, I'm doing in the field and how both of them can actually influence and enhance each other. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you're a brave man to do both government and academia at the same time. <laughs> it's it's actually really a good combination because the the academia interaction of students where anything's possible and no idea is a wrong idea right. know, has helped helped me just come up with fresh ideas 
just the mindset, right? It's not that I apply the same ideas here, but just the mindset that we are not just confined with what is has been happening and what is possible based on the framework that the state works, but just constantly, you know, focus on the innovation aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. And so now you're working on stuff like um, people getting their driver's license or paying their taxes or getting a permit to build something. What, what are some of the other projects where um, you have identified that, you know, going with, as you call, the citizen-first approach has really made a big impact on um, the usability or the ease or the um, just how quickly somebody could get something done? Yeah, we, um, for the last few years, have been focusing on making the web interaction um, different. So there was a lot of information, as you know, all of us can attest to. Government sites tend to get a little um, carried away with <laughs> reflecting what the organization is, and you know, all the org chart is pretty much a reflection on their website. So mm-hmm. that is something we wanted to, you know, started, you know, having conversations like. You know, really nobody cares about your organization. Nobody cares about what the head honcho has to say. People are there for specific tasks. So they just want to know that one piece of information. So how can we get to that? And those conversations, when they started happening at that level, obviously, initially, we got a lot of resistance because it's a very cultural shift from where people were used to. And um, this is where, you know, we slowly started chipping away at showing results where where we found agencies, state agencies that were actually um, okay to take this approach and see what happens. They, you know, started seeing that, wait, uh, you know, our interactions are way high, our traffic's high, people are staying longer on our sites. So slowly, you know, that mind shift uh, started to happen. And then we also architected a tool that allowed us to do this better. So earlier, about six years ago, we were using uh, an outdated tool, very, you know, kind of enterprise mindset tool. But then we moved to open source and then we really kind of built a platform that we felt like, you know, we could serve the best uh, from an information perspective. And that that really started making a big change on how organizations viewed themselves and viewed their content and started delivering uh, just from a web perspective. Uh, so all the applications you mentioned are really kind of on the you know next thing on our roadmap. Yeah, so when you say move to open source, do you mean that you adopted some existing open source technologies or that you started releasing what you were working on into open source? Uh, yes and yes. So uh, the <laughs> okay. con- content management system that we had in the past um, was proprietary, and the licensing costs and everything were just you know crazy. So uh, we moved to Drupal, and uh, six years ago we architected a platform using Drupal. We took uh, an existing distro um, that was used at the federal level, and then we you know, customized it a little bit for what was really specific for some of our agencies and what their use cases were. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last um, six years or so, we have like literally doubled our footprint. I guess one of the things to kind of say is that this being a government service for, say, state agencies and elected officials, um, agencies are still not required to use our services. They can easily go out and procure their own services if they have their budgets. Meaning like the Secretary of State doesn't have to use the stuff that you build. They could go do something on their own if they wanted to. 
That is correct. And they, they actually do. They do not use what we have built. But um, Department of Revenue, um, Labor, Driver Services, uh, a lot of the other large agencies like Human Services, they all use this platform. So at this point, we have about a little over um, 70 agencies hosting around 80, 83, 84 websites with us. Wow. That's a pretty big infrastructure. It is. It is. And at one point we used to, you know, host ourselves. And I mean, a big part of my job was just to make sure the lights were on and nothing was on fire. And then six years ago, when I took this position, um, you know, of being the director for digital services, um, that was like the first thing I kind of, you know, decided was like, nope, we are not, we're not doing this. We don't want to be bogged down by just logistical, you know, nightmare. Let's just move to the cloud and let's focus on what is the core, which is strategy. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on partnering with agencies and making sure their digital presence truly gets enhanced by everything that we work together. Mm-hmm. And and that's where this platform came along. And and the best part of this platform is if one agency has a certain need to do something and we develop it for them, we develop it with a mindset of, you know, maybe other agencies want to use it as well. So sure. we kind of find that common need and only then we develop. We definitely don't we say, okay, well, what do you need? Okay, a ticker, sure, well, here go. Um, you know, we, we are kind of like that checks and balances, like right there was like, okay, is this something you want or is this something you need? And right. if it is, it is something that you need, let's talk about who needs it, how do they need it, how they're going to be using it. And then, you know, that's really kind of how our, uh, development, uh, feature roadmap goes along. Yeah. So somebody comes to you with a request, you validate that request, and then you see where else that request might be applicable across other as you say, agencies, I think most citizens uh, probably think of them as departments, but um, agencies then develop something that is applicable to all of them instead of just being kind of a single serving or a a one use thing. Correct. Correct. Yeah, we are very focused on, okay, we understand as a a department, um, you need this, but then let's look at, you know, how a citizen will be using that. And then like we have a very problem first approach is don't don't tell us what you need from a solution perspective tell us what your problem is let us work right. with you on understanding that problem and then we'll figure out a solution right right so what kind of um benefits have you seen um that render across all these different agencies i'm assuming like the thing that seems obvious to me is just cost and time so if you're developing something that can be deployed across 70 agencies then each one of those agencies doesn't have to go out and procure somebody to build that and build their own variation of it. So it seems like you you save a tremendous amount of time and money that way. Absolutely. I mean, the cost savings are just tremendous. Just think about about 70 departments don't have to have at least two people hired to manage and maintain the technical aspects of their website. Mm -hmm. Because that's what it really used to bog down to, like someone who manages the the hosting aspect and the server aspect, the patching and everything, and the other person who probably would be just, say, you know, back then in the old days, the webmaster, (laughs) you know, who who knows a little bit about HTML. When that was a real title. Exactly, exactly. We empower departments where, you know, someone from the department, they take ownership of the content, somebody who understands content and content strategy. And then there are multiple, if need be, 
content contributors that mm -hmm. then pretty much add content, contribute it, and this person decides on how and when, you know, based on their, um, you know, strategic planning, content needs to be published. Um, there are some smaller agencies that, you know, don't have this, and there are like 10, 10 people of departments, and in, in which case, you know, we kind of help them out with their content. But it's it's a really good model. And, you know, the more I think about this uh, the last few years, this is not a model that should be exclusive for government or for states. Like any right. large enterprise that has multiple departments and uses technology, you really should, you know, be able to just look at what a platform provides as a value. And, you know, to your point earlier, you know, 50 different departments don't have to reinvent the wheel. If it's done once and, you know, if it's done the way you can just implement it for multiple sites, I mean, that's like huge cost savings. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So can you talk about the process? If somebody comes to you with a request, and as you, you already said, don't tell me about your potential solution. Tell me about your problem. Can you talk about the process of um, articulating that problem and working with them to determine what a potential solution might be? Sure. Um, every project that comes our way, we, we have a discovery phase, which is we just, you know, try to discover like everything about what that agency does, you know, wh who their users are based on what their understanding is of their users. Uh, for the past few months, we have like truly started implementing like the UX process where we even start talking about personas and mm -hmm. we start talking about, you know, like just the flavor of the persona that that agency needs to use and needs to kind of have in mind while having these conversations, um, we we truly, you know, kind of first understand what are they trying to solve from a problem perspective. And that's not always the case where they come to us, like I said earlier, they'll be like, hey, we need an app to do this. So, you know, always the conversation has to be like, okay, I heard you. Let's talk about what the app's going to do. Like, what, what what problem are you trying to solve? And then it just turns out that, hey, they just need something that could very well be just a website, but that just, you know, responsive and, and caters to a mobile device. So you don't really need an app. So we always drive that conversation from the first phase of, like, let's define the problem, and then we move on to the solution aspect of it. So who is it, right, that is going to be using this. So, you know, this is where we start focusing on like the whole problem to solution mapping aspect of it. And mm -hmm. then we work with them on, you know, um, like, okay, well, you know, if it's a website, if it's a content focused uh, problem, then what else can we do? Before we come up with a solution for them, we really kind of make sure that we have the problem, you know, like defined well. And this is where we like, you know, just resort to like the why aspect of it. Like we just keep asking these questions, mm -hmm. of, you know, why is it then? Okay. If this is, then why is that? And once we feel like we have the problem defined, then we kind of start building on, you know, a solution. And then we, when we present them the solution, we also present them, well, this is where, you know, your problem was, this is where your goals were. And this is how the solutions is actually going to address both of that. And right. we also show like, okay, these are some of the key performance indicators. Like, you know, we don't, we don't just assume saying this is the best solution for you, but this is where the whole iterative approach comes in is, you know, let's roll with this. Let's do some initial, you know, testing. Like we really like testing and we really like to see how something has been used by our constituents. And thankfully for like all the recent tools, we are able to do that. 
And, you know, numbers obviously speak volume compared to opinions or even what they would look at as um, expert feedback, right? So we're like, these are the numbers. People are actually gravitating towards this solution. So this is probably the best thing for you. Right. So you're using uh, real data to to drive decision-making. Yes, yes. So, so who's typically involved in that exercise? I'm sure it's people from your team, but also stakeholders mm-hmm. from the agency's team. Like, How many people do you try to get involved in? Um, and how do you corral all of those different opinions and personalities and, and get them pointed in the right direction? Yeah, it's tricky. I wish I had like a template answer for this, but it really depends on which agency it is. Because uh, there are some agencies where the you know commissioners are just personally motivated to be part of the conversation. And then it just turns out to be like, you know, like the whole um, hippo (laughs) uh, complex of like the highest paid person in the room, like Mm -hmm. their opinion obviously trumps others. And and this is exactly where I am, you know, like lucky to have like the support of my leadership, where I've had, you know, situations where I'm like, I'm sorry, I kind of have to disagree with you. Like, I understand you are, you know, at a level where you're used to just people nodding and getting things done. But what you're suggesting just does not make any sense because here's why. And this is where we resort to data. So before we say, for example, if someone says, hey, we want to join your platform, um, we first ask them, uh, what analytics are you using? What numbers are you able to provide us? Right. And if they don't have anything, which has happened, right, you know, it'll be a shocker for like a non-public space um, listener. But a lot of the a lot of the websites just did not have analytics plugged on them. And we were like, well, this is the first thing you want to do then is we give them, you know, code snippets that they put on their websites. We start collecting numbers. A lot of the larger agencies have call centers. So, you know, we ask for like what people are calling about. You know, just give us, like, all of the qualitative information. Like, I don't care. I mean, you know, I won't say I won't care, but, like, you know, it's good to know how many call and what the call volume is and how quickly they're able to attend to the calls. But we are looking for way more than that. So once we put all of that data together, you know, that really kind of adds to these little pieces of the puzzle for mm-hmm. us to start looking at the big picture of, okay, well, then, then clearly if these many people are calling in about this, what have you done on your website? So in you know, in in my mind, you know, this is like all these various channels coming together. So going forward, what we're really trying to push is this whole omni-channel approach of digital strategy. Is let's just not, you know, deal with these things as their own silos, and which they totally are, because call centers are handled by someone else. Applications are handled by somebody else, even within the same organization, and there is barely any, you know, uh, crossover of information sharing. And in the last couple of years, I've actually seen that this has started to happen, where people are looking at the big picture by piecing these uh, pieces of information together. But earlier, that was just not the case. Like the first time I remember asking for numbers from a call center, they gave me these many calls, this this much time to answer questions. And, um, you know, just like happy giddy that they're meeting their goals for, you know, answering under five minutes. So, you know, <laughs> like, are you collecting any qualitative data? Like, you know, what, what are they calling about? So the next time they would give me, it's just like, here's a list of all the departments they're calling about. Right. Um, 
great, we are inching closer now. Now ask them to log exactly what is it that they're calling about. And, you know, once we got to the meat of it, then I'm like, wow, this is a gold mine, right? So this totally drives my decision strategy. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that it's pretty eye-opening for the people even in that agency. They suddenly realize there's all this activity that they weren't even paying attention to that could help drive good decision-making. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like once they start seeing that, oh, wait a minute, if based on this, if you can just put up a quick web page where we can just point them to, then that actually saves our next three minutes, right? So right. somewhere even like their goals kind of come in by just creating a better user experience or a citizen experience where, um, you know, all these channels come together. Yep. So it's a, a stark contrast between what you're doing in government and what most people are trying to accomplish in the commercial world or in the business world, because you don't have those clear revenue metrics that you need to meet uh, in a lot of cases, I would, I'm imagining. Um, someone once told me that uh, you know government differs from business and that government gets stuck with all the jobs business doesn't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, like, what kind of metrics are you looking at to gauge the success of a project? Is it satisfaction? Is it time spent um, accomplishing a task? Mm-hmm. What is it? There are multiple. There are multiple um, performance indicators, I would say. Uh, and you're right. Yes, we are not so stressed on, you know, end of the quarter uh, number projections and meeting numeric goals. Uh, but at the same time, um, government does rely on, you know, similar business metrics, I would say. So just, just you know, you know, take an example of like a government service. A lot of the services that citizens use are, you know, funded by tax dollars. And every year in Georgia, as the legislators come together, I mean, they literally decide on the fate of like all these services, right? And these agencies, these departments are tasked to support these services. So somewhere, you know, that accountability is there where we want to make this successful because then, you know, our consumption really helps our existence, Right. So if a service is well used, if the usage expands, then, you know, it's better funded. If it's better funded, then the agency is better staffed. Um, and and sure. this is either state revenue or also some of the federal dollars kind of going in. Right. So it, it's always good to show that what we are doing is successful. Um, a couple things from like my perspective when we work on projects, I really like to see um, time as less spent on sites where people, when it is information, right? I mean, they really like to come in, soak in what they want or they're looking for, and then go. And if it's an application, then obviously go all the way to the end of the application where they complete the transaction. Right. But the way some of the agents, uh, some of the you know private sector websites would like for their sites to hold on to people as long as they want, as long as they would like to, um, you know, in some cases, in our in our case, you know, uh, the inversion of that uh, expectation is actually the goal. 
and um, in some cases where people need to understand certain ideas or certain concepts of like how they should be dealing with a certain program, that's where we were like, okay, well, this is if they spend more time on the website, that means they're not going to be calling our call centers. And, you know, clearly, like there was a study done way back in Georgia where obviously they put numbers on it, but these are old numbers, so I'm not going to say the numbers, but I mean, this is common knowledge that it takes more or it costs more to attend to your user in person versus, you know, helping them over the phone oh, versus absolutely. Yeah. helping them online, right? So at one point, we actually had numbers on it. So, like, the whole idea is to just drive everything to an online presence. But at the same time, you know, you kind of don't try and not lose that experience aspect of it. Right, right. Because... Yeah, yeah. And keeping track of the right metric, right? Because uh, as you said, time spent on page uh, might be great if you are a, a fiction um, novel site or something. But uh, if you're trying to accomplish a task, you don't want somebody sitting on a page for, for three to five minutes because that could indicate confusion. And exactly. That's, exactly, that's the exact opposite of what you're trying to, to accomplish. Exactly. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about um, what kind of tools and processes you're using uh, maybe post-discovery phase, um, are mm-hmm. you doing any kind of testing or how are you iterating through and making sure that you're actually accomplishing the goals that you set out to when you had the discovery phase? Sure. Yeah, so we, we do a combination, um, you know, depending on like the project, what makes sense. So we do um, some uh, paper prototyping. And um, it's we find we find that's like the easiest for someone to understand what's going on. Uh, sure. Lately, we have been showing them similar wireframes on a screen, uh, but you know we always have to do like a very kind of introductory. Okay, let me tell you what we are going to be looking at because they you know the first thing people see on a wireframe is like oh wait a minute this this is what our site's going to look like. So we have to do a little bit of you know okay expectation setting, but like just focus on the content, right? One thing that we don't do is like do lorem ipsum. Like we first really kind of dive, make sure that the content is ready. And after the IA and everything's done, that's when we move to like a wireframe stage. And then we go through like several iterations based on, you know, our testing. We use maybe in-person testing if need be. We use remote testing. Uh, we, we sometimes also use like uh, third-party tools, um, like, you know, what used to be like the five-second test uh, to now. I, I forgot like what the new company is that they actually assume like all of these little testing solutions. Um, but, you know, we, we leverage all of these um tools to give them as honest feedback on, okay, if we do this, this is how users are actually going to be using it. Mm-hmm. And once once we have that validation, then we move on to, you know, kind of then building them like a prototype. Like we don't really kind of go, you know, do into like mock-ups or anything. Like that's the, that's the rough testing phase. And then we just like stand the site for them. And then the whole iterative part of that happens like really on our staging environment with them. Um, mm-hmm. they are always, I mean, to your, you know, question, uh, earlier about like, who do we include in this? Right. So literally like we have stakeholders, you know, right from the commissional level sometimes to someone who is just like a program manager or like a project manager just for this project. But we also make sure that someone who will be assuming this project after the project is deployed is also part of the you know conversation. Um, Right. So one of the stakeholders who's actually going to be 
working with whatever it is that you're delivering, whatever that, that website or, or application or tool is. You want someone who's going to be working with either managing that or facilitating the other people using it to be involved in that entire prototype process. Exactly. Because we have seen in the past where, you know, and this was a learning experience, right? Like we just like literally I learned this through going through like all these projects and um, someone who would be like a really good um, hands on person handling this project on the department side. Um, once the site goes live, boom, they assign something else. And the person walks in is, you know, absolutely just like a blank canvas. So, uh, that entire aspect of onboarding from a vendor perspective is, is really daunting because they come in with a different mindset, a different, you know, kind of set of ideas and they start questioning why this is done, why that is done. So it's always good to kind of have someone who will be taking the responsibility of that project going forward. So that's something we make sure that is part of that team. And I mean, honestly, like I try to drive it as much as don't have decision by committee, right? Because right. everyone who is part of the decision process should be at the table and we all should be able to talk together. Like in the past when someone says, okay, this is great. Let me take it back to the team or let me take it back to my leadership and see what happens. They always came back with like the craziest ideas and I'm like, okay, what just happened? It's just like, you know, we, we had this conversation and, you know, it's almost kind of like that never happened and we have to kind of start over again. So it's always good to kind of have those people in the conversation at the table. And also they, you know, once they are part of that conversation, they feel like they have some ownership on it. And it's not just that they are put on the hook to say yay or nay for a certain solution. If they're part of that solution while the solution is being developed, I think that's really the key for, a, having the right people say the right things at the right time, but also them feeling that piece of ownership into the final solution. Right. And I think that's an important lesson that kind of two things happening there is one is we have to remember that the people that we're building things for aren't trained on how those things get built and why decisions get made. And so by involving them in the process, it helps them understand that a little bit. And then also that if they are part of how that product makes it into the real world, they have a greater understanding and appreciation for it once it's actually in use. So you've kind of eliminated two things there, right? As you've exposed a bit of the process and helped people understand why things are, are being made the way that they are, and then trained them along the way so that you're not just giving them a new thing and, and telling them, like dropping them into the deep end, so to speak. Like, here's your new piece of software here, figure out how to use it. They already know by the time it gets deployed. Right, exactly. That knowledge buildup already happens until then. Um, and yeah. it's also then going forward a lot easier to get future buy-ins. Sure. Because multiple people have been involved and they know exactly where, why this was put together. They know the intentions for it. Um, one of the things that we have just started doing, and this is um, looking at what um, UK did, is um, just... Drive the talking about the the United Kingdom government site. Yes, yeah, the beautiful, Kingdom, the, Good, great yes, work. Gov. like amazing, right? Like I know that I've talked to some people out there, and it's it's not it's not very uh, I would say popular for their agencies because it's very constricting for agencies. But I can see why they have to put that stringent framework in place to begin with. But one of the things that they did, and I'm like really trying hard to implement that here, is every project is the way they have, you know, every project has a business owner. 
I really want to establish the idea is our true business owner is the citizen because we are using taxpayer money to build whatever it is that we are building. Right. So if that doesn't work for them, we are just doing, you know, a disservice for, you know, what we are using this taxpayer money for. Right. And I, I don't think from a philosophy perspective, anything, anybody would, you know, object to this. But as you can, as you probably know, like a lot of people have, you know, very passionate feelings about like how a project should be driven and how decisions should be made. And then when they hear no, because this is not going to be helpful for Susan, who has a certain level of disability or a certain level of, you know, uh, restriction. Um, we shouldn't be doing this, then they were like, oh, wait a minute. No, but I own this project. It's like, yeah, not really. Susan owns this project. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you're, you're just the steward that has been put here to help make sure that Susan's tasks can get accomplished. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Again, which is a bit of a shift from the business world where it's all about selling a product or, or delivering a service. And I think we're starting to see some some uh, the business world come around to that same philosophy of being truly user centered or in your terms, uh, more citizen centered. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe uh, maybe those things are aligning much more than we think. They really are. And as, as as we see around us, right, I think, you know, we all can agree that Apple really opens opened everyone's eyes to making everything user-centric and user-focused. And it's just so assuring to see what other organizations are doing now. Like just, right. you know, seeing Home Depot have such a huge UX team is, is just amazing that someone, um, you know, of that scale is investing so much on UX yeah, it's uh, I've I've had opportunities to chat with a handful of people from Home Depot, and um, they uh, really have bought in whole hog to this concept of of putting the customer in the front of the experience. And it's back to you know, actually what you said: uh, the Jobsian idea of the experience is the product, right? Yeah, it's not so much about the physical item or the service that gets delivered, but the entire experience of using that product or that service. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with the state now, it has also started happening where if somebody else can create a better experience, but charge people for using their products, which does exactly what they otherwise could have done with the state. Right. We have seen that people are actually choosing to do that. Right. Um, So, you know, if, if that's what's happening, like, you know, we really should get our, you know, a game on and create that experience for the constituents and, you know, save them from those service fees that, you know, somebody else is charging them just to give them a better experience. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of wonder at what point does um, the types of services and how they're delivered by a state government become a, uh, an actual competitive advantage? Um, you know, we see states compete for corporations all the time, right? So Mercedes has moved here from uh, mm-hmm. New Jersey and uh, Florida, and everyone's advertising all these tax credits and everything. So I, I kind of wonder at what point, not just from a business perspective and a big corporation perspective, but from a, an actual citizen perspective, like at what point does it say, well, I'd rather move to Georgia because it's really easy to be a citizen there? No, it's it's true. And, you know, we, we Georgia uh, and Atlanta specifically, we are lucky to actually get a huge, I guess, um, you know, um, resident um, migration, I guess we can call it, where uh, for the last few years we actually seen so the numbers go up 
and and that's truly you know a testament for like all the businesses who choose to stay and function in Georgia, and I know the Department of um, I can't think of their name right now. <laughs> uh, Georgia.org, basically, uh, they have done a great job of attracting businesses and you know the film industry, right? I mean, Georgia is like second to California now for what the film industry now looks like nation, uh, nationwide. I, I thought it was higher. I was chatting with a friend of mine at um, at the Department of Economic Development, and he was saying that in terms of film production, we are um, the highest in the country and I think second in the world only to um, to what people call Bollywood. Okay. Well, that, I, I definitely would take his word then on that. Yes, that's the department I was thinking of, economic development. Um, they, they have been doing wonders with attracting business and attracting film crews. I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because I work in downtown and, you know, most of the times when I just walk out to grab a bite or something, you know, there is a shooting going on somewhere or the other, like filming going on. And, you know, at one point I used to be like, oh, what's going on? What, what are they filming? And now it's just like, oh, OK, well, they got this street block. Let me just take a detour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's become part of everyday life. Exactly. Exactly. And it's great. I mean, it just, you know, I have a couple of neighbors um, who are, you know, part of the production teams. And they, they just talk about these gigantic sets they have built around and, you know, like just amazing what they have done. So, yeah, a state can actually do so much to, you know, kind of create that environment. Um, we also have really good uh, relationship with the cities. And I know, you know, the city of Atlanta is doing amazing work and, you know, they're on their way to become like a smart city, you know, um, of some of the meetings that I've been part of and what I've heard, they really are trying to make sure that the whole user experience aspect of someone who lives in Atlanta and interacts with Atlanta uh, is changing. So, yeah, between the state and the local governments, I think, you know, just the experience aspect of it can truly be enhanced by these little things. Like, you know, we think the website might be just one of the things, but that makes a big difference for someone who just moved to Georgia and want to find out what needs to happen to, you know, change things and which doors they need to knock on. And yep, that's where, exactly. kinda, you know, yeah, we did that with Georgia Gov. So a few years ago, we changed the content strategy. Earlier, it was like all just structural. Here's the section for business. Here's the section for transportation. Here's the section for this. We just really kind of dove down to what is it that people are looking for? What are they asking? So we scrubbed the whole structure of the site and just boiled it down to like a very topical conversation. So now we just have these, you know, 50 most frequented topics, we call them popular topics. And that actually delivers information in a very user-friendly way, uh, where if someone says, hey, I want a driver's license, or I want to renew a driver's license, then they can just go there. They have like everything in a very um, you know, basic structured form that they can just look at like, okay, these are the things I need and these are the best times to go and boom, it's, it's done. Yeah. And that's such a change uh, in thinking from the way most people feel about government sites, right? It's always an arduous task. It's like, oh man, I got to go and you know, do this thing through some government website and I know it's going to be atrocious, but you're really changing that and it's changing the way people perceive interacting with their government, not just because the website is better, but because they got their job done and it wasn't a big pain in the butt. Exactly, exactly, right? I mean, um, to quote uh, the great Jared Spool, um, like from the 
scale of something that is just excruciating to deal with and something that is just absolute pleasure to deal with. I don't think the government experience can ever slide all the way, you know, to the pleasurable side because, you know, whatever we do, you know, we kind of do it because we have to do it. But even if we make the process easier, you know, that is where we can have yep. like a huge win. We're like, well, I paid my taxes or paid my ticket, but hey, it was easy. I mean, you know, there is no insert to injury where like, okay, I got to pay, but also then suffer through like a really convoluted system to pay my ticket. Yep. Well, I don't know if you had any, and you can take any credit for this, but I did have an experience recently. Um, I just had to get a new license plate, just bought a new car and got a license plate in the mail and it wasn't the license plate that I had recommended. So I went to my local tax office and I walked in, I told them that I received the incorrect plate. They asked me which one I wanted and I told them and they gave me the new plate and I was in and out in less, literally less than three minutes. And it was, you know, that story alone, the fact that I'm, you know, talking about how delightful it was to go to the tax Mm -hmm. office for a license plate is a sea change (laughs) in dealing with government. And, you know, if that might not be a digital system that I actually touched, but that mm-hmm. I'm guessing is a system that you know you probably helped build and made it easier for the person sitting there handling my request to get their job done, which in the end made it a much more delightful experience for me. No, I wish I could take credit for that, but I, I definitely um, should not. And um, it's it's a county, um, I would say, office, not a state office. But this is exactly where you know we are trying to drive from. Is as a as a citizen. You don't care if it's a city function or a county function or a state function. You just look at it as government. And, you know, you want the least friction as possible. And then, you know, even if something starts from one end that trickles down or just goes across the spectrum, I think that is that is amazing. And yes, you're right. I mean, I, I have also experienced like a lot of the things where, you know, the driver license office, you know, I was in and out within like literally 15 minutes where I remember when I moved to Georgia, like my first experience was just like excruciating. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're trying to prevent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you today. Uh, if somebody wants to hear more or, or find out more about what you're working on, um, maybe chat with you a bit about it directly, uh, where should they go and how should they get in touch with you? Um, I am, I'm on Twitter um, at Nick of the Hill. Um, I, can, I can, you know, definitely engage in the conversation there. I also love, you know, when people reach out, connect with me on LinkedIn or just send me a message on LinkedIn. I like uh, to, you know, chat there as well. Uh, We have a website called interactive.georgia.gov. If they go there, they can find, you know, my email and how they, you know, any if they want to also, you know, reach out to anyone on my team. Um, it's, it's always nice because I, since we moved to this platform and we are doing this digital services, uh, piece of it, like a lot of other states, other organizations, profit, nonprofit, they reach out and, you know, they have like all kinds of questions. So I'm always happy to answer and always happy to just kind of also know what they're doing. That really helps me as well. Sure. Great. Well, Nikhil, again, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, We'll link up all that stuff in the show notes. And um, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks. It's it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Jay. And yeah, I look forward to uh, meeting again. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? 
point your browser to designdriven.biz and click contact us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcast. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.